This week on Myths and Legends, it's the conclusion of the story of Hrolf Kraki from the Norse sagas. You'll see that, while there are some places you can trim the budget, you probably don't want to skimp on the pay for your berserkers. You know, the guys that think they're bears and do all the killing in your kingdom? Yeah, pay those guys. Also cover their dry cleaning. Those bear cloaks get messy. The creature this week is Penny Dragon. It's a dragon that leaves loose change and definitely not bad luck all over your house. This is Myths and Legends, episode 154B, The Army of the Dead. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, King Helgi of Denmark was both our protagonist and a massive sleazeball, forcing himself on the Queen of Saxony. She became pregnant with a daughter, Irsa. And years later, Helgi actually married that daughter. Neither of them knew that was the case, and they conceived Hrolf, a son. When Yersa learned that her child was both her son and her half-brother, she fled and married the craven Swedish king Adils. King Helgi met up with an elvish queen and conceived a daughter with her, named Skuld. Having gotten his groove back, Helgi went to try to win Yersa back and was killed by Adils' 12 berserkers, leaving his son, Hrolf, the ruler of Denmark. Svipdag stood before King Hrolf, the son of King Helgi and Queen Yersa. The twelve berserkers? The ones that killed King Helgi? They were dead. You're welcome, by the way. Hrolf furrowed his brow. And who was this guy? Svipdag, of Sweden, had been on your classic hero's journey, only with kind of way too much murder. He was the son of a farmer in Sweden, and he made his way to the capital, seeking to be a berserker for King Adils. Remember, he was the one who deceitfully killed Helgi after marrying Helgi's daughter wife. Well, instead of knocking on the door of Adil's home, Svipdag had simply kicked it down, entered, and poured himself a drink. Cue the 12 famous berserkers having a problem with some guy breaking down their door. So, one by one, they challenged him. And at around Berserker 6, Adil's put it to a stop. The dirty half-dozen said that Adil's needed to make a choice. It was either Svipdag or them. King Adil's cocked an eyebrow. Svipdag, 100% Svipdag. He'd just killed half of you and barely had a scratch on him. Their only consolation being their rage. The six berserkers had promptly left and proceeded to raid the lands they had once, and very recently, defended. Svipdag called his brothers from the farm and together they finished the job, eliminating the remaining berserkers. At the end of the final battle, King Adil's emerged from the trees. He knew Svipdag had it the whole time. That's why he had so much confidence in the newest berserker and had hidden the trees for the whole fight. The story isn't clear just what sort of conversation Svipdag and Adils had next, but it was definitely about money. Basically, Svipdag was now doing the job of 12 berserkers and wanted to be paid as much. Adils patted Svipdag on his blood-smeared bear shirt. Oh, sorry, bud, no. There just wasn't any money in the budget for a raise right now. Svipdag gave the king a look, and Adils held up both hands. You know what? Adils would move some stuff around. He talked to accounting, 
come talk to him in Q1. In the meantime, Svipdag had a pretty sizable Christmas bonus coming his way. Huh? But, but this is 6th century Scandinavia. We, we won't celebrate Christmas for like 500 years. Adils? But King Adils was already climbing aboard his likely gilded chariot. Alright, good talk. Thanks for killing all the kingdom's enemies in this completely avoidable conflict. And, oh hey, he needed to get his bear shirt dry cleaned himself. The kingdom didn't pay for that. Bye. Svipdag and his brother stood there sneering. Unbelievable. And so it wasn't a hard decision to leave Sweden. And, after hearing so much about how great the kingdom of Hrolf was in Denmark, the brothers sailed south across the sea and presented themselves to the son of Helgi, who, generous with his cash, was already recruiting the best berserkers in the land. It was an easy partnership. Svipdag earned the money he wanted, and Hrolf got the guy who killed the guys who killed his father. He also rounded out his own 12 berserkers, and Svipdag wasn't even the best of the bunch. That honor went to one Bodvar Bjarki, another king who abdicated because, well, being a king was far more boring than traveling the world fighting stuff. Bodvar's dad, a prince, had fallen in love with a common woman, and the only person who wasn't happy about that was Bodvar's father's father, so his grandfather's new wife. She wanted to get with her stepson, because apparently no one can have a healthy relationship ever in these stories. He refused, so naturally, she turned him into a bear. The common woman, named serendipitously enough, Bera, found the bear, and, seeing as he became a man each night, conceived triplets with him. Those triplets went on to become kings and big, tough Viking warriors, such as Bodvar Bjarki, and they had the gruesome honor of avenging their father by putting a leather sacker on the evil stepmother's face, tightening the cord, and, quote, dragging her to H-E-L hell, the cold and grim Norse underworld. Anyway, after smashing one of Hrolf's men, it seemed like there was a rare opening on Team Berserker, and Bodvar Bjarki was allowed to take that spot. Oh, and he was quite literally a berserker, because it was rumored that he had a spirit bear that followed him around. Because why not? Well, outfitted with 12 at his back, Hrolf was shaping up to be a true force to be reckoned with. some indication of just how much time has passed since the last episode. Skuld, the half-elf baby girl given to King Helgi right before he ran off to be killed, was now of marriageable age. So, about 12 or 13 years have passed. Yeah. Now, when it's foretold that a baby will bring anguish to your bloodline, you don't necessarily need to fear that person, but maybe treat them with a baseline level of respect. Like, maybe don't shame her Viking king husband at his own wedding. You know? At the most awkward of family meetings, King Adils, Queen Yersa, and King Hrolf had arranged the marriage of Skuld to King Hjorvard. Don't worry, none of these names will be on the final. At the wedding feast, King Hrolf said that mm, he just had to resituate his belt. Here, he handed King Hjorvard his sword to hold, refastened his belt, and then took his sword back. Then, he and his berserkers laughed out loud. That just happened. King Hjorvard was confused, as we all will be in this situation. What just happened? With a smile, King Hrolf said that his new brother-in-law knew the old adage, right? 
whoever holds the sword of a man undoing his belt will, from then on, be the lesser of the two. Well, Rolf pointed his sword at King Hjorvard. Lesser of the two. He then told his berserkers to line up the way they had practiced, and he ran through a tunnel of high fives before circling his way back to the mead. And yeah, apparently this stood up, because from that day forward, King Hjorvard begrudgingly paid tribute to King Hrolf. It was Bodvar, remember the bear guy, who finally said it. It was a shame that their king, the guy who kept all the berserkers' bloodlust in line, hadn't recovered his father's gold yet from King Adil's. Looking on the overwhelming force that now occupied his halls, Hroth nodded. Yeah, you know what? It was time to go. He gathered 100 warriors in addition to his 12 berserker champions, and they sailed north. When they reached Sweden, it began to grow cold, and seeing a small farm in the distance, and the farmer enthusiastically coming out to welcome Viking raiders into his home, they slowed. Y you sure about this? It's almost winter and we'll eat like the rest of your food, King Hroff warned. But the farmer, named Hrani, brushed it off, telling them to get inside. The farmer, whose hair covered one of his eyes, then turned to Hroff with a deluge of compliments. Look at those arms, you, you're looking good. Looking cut, man, ripped. Like you could, I don't know, take on a giant wolf that's gonna eat the sun, the farmer said, before slapping the king on the back and going to feed a hundred people like it was nothing. That night, the farmer conveniently forgot to heat the house. And when the warriors woke up the next morning, he told King Hrolf two things. One, he would experience worse than that with King Adils, and two, he should send half of his fighting force home because he wouldn't win this war with numbers. Ah, but what did he know? He was just an average farmer with shockingly specific knowledge of Hrolf's plans and future. All right, bye now. King Hrolf thought about it. There was something Odin-y about this guy, so he ordered half of his fighting force home. The suspicions of Hrolf were confirmed at the next stop when Farmer Hrani came out and told them that they could spend the night there as well as don't worry about how he got there faster, or why he owned two farms or anything. He waved everyone inside. That night, half of Hrolf's men got up, because they were so thirsty, and, on this epic Viking version of Willy Wonka's factory tour, they were the next to have to leave. As soon as Hrolf said they should be getting on the road, the worst blizzard that any of them had ever seen cropped up, and, oh, oops, Hrolf and his men had to stay another night with Farmer Hrani, the guy said with a wink, though with only one eye, it was really more of a blink. That night, he built a fire, and all but Hrolf and his 12 champions ended up on the other side of the room. Farmer Hrani said that if only Hrolf and his 12 went, then there would be some chance that they would return. Otherwise, there was none. King Hrolf thought about it, and nodded. Sure, sure. Hey, thanks for the pointers, Odin. Ah, no problem. Ah, almost got me, Farmer Hrani said. Nope, he was just some one-eyed farmer with prophetic knowledge and lots of wine. He didn't know Odin, you know, the guy with the washboard abs, cool raven friends, and he was only trying to make sure the world doesn't end. Nope, he couldn't say that he did. That guy sounded awesome, though.
Easy peasy lemon squeezy, King Adil said when he saw that Hroff's fighting force consisted of just himself and 12 guys. What's a lemon? His advisor asked. Anyway, yeah, they were here and they already had some requests. Basically, they wanted their horses to be treated with respect. It seemed okay, so the advisor approved it. King Adils raised his hand. No, he was an evil king. And evil kings do not treat animals with respect. They were to cut off the horse's tails and shave their forelocks so close that it exposed the bone. Grimacing, the advisor took the orders to the surely thrilled stable boy. When King Adils made his way into the throne room, he saw none other than Svipdag, his former berserker, standing before Hrolf and the other 11 warriors. A dent in the back of his skull, an eye out of his head, a scar on his forehead, two blows on the hand. That is all you lost fighting for me, Adils boomed from the far end of the hall. All the fires except the ones illuminating his face were out, and they had been rehearsing this for weeks. He had watched as his understudy did it in the rehearsal yesterday, and it looked fantastic, super ominous. Even better, Hrolf's Vikings wouldn't have any clue that they actually completely dug up the floor of the Great Hall, putting traps and holes everywhere. It was top-notch evil king stuff. King Adil's face glowed atop his throne as he heard Hrolf's champions cry out that it was a trap. He heard the clash of swords in the dark and the sound of several bodies at the bottom of the spiky pits, and then silence. He waved his hand and ordered the torches lit. What? King Adils remarked when the lights came up, and Hrolf and his 12 warriors were standing in the middle of the room, surrounded by pits and what was surely a nightmare for King Adils' health insurance plan. Guys, did you attack our guests? Oh, I am so sorry, Hrolf. I don't know what got into these guys. Seriously. Adil stopped talking and held up a hand. You know what it was? He told his guys to show Hrolf and his boys a good time. And what do Vikings love more than fighting? It was just a miscommunication. While he was trying to save face, he was nodding to the guys with the torch. Yes, plan B, that's what the winking meant. One of Adil's men put the torch to the floor, igniting a room-spanning barricade between King Adil's and Hrolf and their respective warriors. It was actually another ploy, because standing among his warriors, King Adils didn't know which one King Hrolf was. He figured he wouldn't be as strong as his champions, so King Adils had his men keep piling logs on an indoor bonfire. Just a fantastic idea, knowing that King Hrolf wouldn't be able to take the heat. Adils, of course, absolutely couldn't take the heat, and already scooched his throne back to the outer wall. As the clothes of Hrolf and his men burned around them, they remembered their oaths back in Denmark not to turn back in the face of iron or fire. This was getting a bit more difficult to honor, seeing as their clothes had now burned off their bodies as they stood there, but to show how tough they were, they tossed their own shields onto the fire. The blaze rising almost to the ceiling, King Adils could barely take it when he saw something coming out of the fire. King Hrolf shouted from the other side of the fire that he flees no fire who jumps over it and proceeded to jump over the fire. On the other side, the singed and naked Vikings tossed those who were feeding the fire into said fire, turned, and made their way to King Adils. King Adils, though, came prepared with a plan C. He ducked into a hollow tree he had at the back of his throne room, and by the time Hrolf and his berserkers reached it, King Adils had magicked his way on out of there. Seeing as he had killed her father, and her first husband, once again gross, trying to convince Yursa to help him kill her son was a hard sell. 
and King Adils didn't give it up until he heard the footsteps of King Hroth down the hallway. He sneered, magicked his way out of that room, just before the door flew open, and, for the first time since he was an infant, Yursa embraced her son. We'll learn that it's not over. King Adil still has more in store for the Viking heroes, but that will be right after this. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The band stepped out of King Adil's Great Hall as the place burned to the ground. Also, revenge pro tip, don't trap your enemy in your house with fire when your house is made completely out of wood. Anyway, in the Queen's quarters, Hroth met her loyal servant, Bog, who laughed at the now reclothed Viking king, calling him as skinny as a pole. Hroth liked this name and decided to go by Hroth Kraki, Kraki being the word for that type of pole ladder. Vog joined the group as a weird little curiosity. He was small, i.e. not epic Viking-sized, and funny, and he promised to protect Hroth with his life and, if Hroth died, avenge his king. Hroth laughed and, with a strong vote of confidence, said that there were like 12 other guys better suited for that whole thing. Vogg might have gotten the ability to make good on his oath right then and there, though, because behind them, the Vikings heard a thundering through the house and turned to find a troll in the form of a boar, so I guess just an angry boar, barreling toward them. A swift hit from Bodvar's axe and Hrothkraki's heretofore unmentioned dog biting the boar's ears off, and the boar retreated. Fortunately for him, but unfortunately for the people in the house, the boar made it, right before the flames covered the door. Working his way on down to Plan D, King Adils thought that he finally had the heroes. They were trapped in this little, well-built house, and he had his men piling wood on the outside, since the last of Hroth's berserkers disappeared inside. Okay, so when you're burning down a house with your greatest enemy inside, you should make sure they're not a legendary warrior. Because if they are, you'll pretty much always lose. Sure that no one could break through those walls and attack them, King Adils enacted plans E through G when he screamed, soiled himself, and ran for his life into the woods when Hroth and his men did just that and broke through those wooden walls. After they got Vogg and Yersa out of the house, Hroth and his berserkers pursued Adils and what remained of his men into the forest. Unfortunately, a marriage was a marriage. Adils was a king, and Sweden was powerful. King Adils had called in warriors from all around the country in the days prior, and he would be bringing in reinforcements. Yersa gave Hroth his inheritance, the best horses in the Swedish capital, and, most of all, 
Adils' family ring, called Sviagris. With that, she kissed her son on the forehead and told him to go. He had done what he set out to do. He had regained his inheritance, and then some. Listening to his mom, Rolf and his men left. Later on that morning, as the Vikings rode south to their waiting ships, they saw at first one silhouette on the hills behind them, then ten, then a thousand. It was the Swedish army. They will be overtaken in a matter of minutes. The other berserkers turned to fight. This would be a good death. They would take their place in the halls of Valhalla. <laughs> yeah, just like Farmer Hrani once. No, guys, just keep riding. We're good. Oh, and before the bear guy says anything, no, it's not retreating. Check this out, King Hroff said, and dipped his hand into the gold cup filled with gold coins. As they rode, he sprinkled the hills with gold so that when the Swedes passed over and saw the gold, they stopped and started fighting among themselves for the treasure. King Adils was almost tearing out his hair. They had the Danes. It was 12 guys, seriously. They would get the gold when they killed them. And wait, was that his family ring? Remember, this is a Norse myth. Never go for the ring. Adils galloped for it, leapt down from his horse, and bent down to pick up the ring. And that's when he heard the laughing. It was Rolf. He was nearby, and laughing that he had bent the back of the greatest of Swedes. King Adils heard this laughter, just one moment too late to do anything at all, because in that instant, Rolf Kraki was there, his sword scoffnung in hand, and he was cutting off Adils' buttocks. Yeah, this super serious Viking war ended cartoonishly violently, with a Swedish king losing his buttocks down to the bone. King Adil's screaming with the two cheeks just sitting there on the ground, he forgot all about the ring. Feeling faint from lack of blood, he ran back to the line of guys fighting over the gold pieces before passing out. The war, it seemed, was finally over. King Rolf had won. You slice off his butt? Farmer Harani asked, as Rolf and his berserkers arrived at the third farm that he owned. Yeah, you sliced off his butt. There was like a 1 in 14 million chance that the guy would walk away without a butt. But you found it. Good job. So, uh, you guys want some weapons? Rolf Kraki looked at the rusted and decrepit weapons. What? Seriously? Use these? Farmer Harani said that you should absolutely use these. Dying in battle was one of the surest ways to go to Vaha. You know what? Never mind, just take the gifts and go. Get in big fights, big scary fights. Rolf furrowed his brow. He saw where this was going. He didn't say it out loud, but he knew Odin's whole scam. The guy found the best warriors and gave them favor, and when they started to rely on his favor, he pulled it away at a critical moment, leading to their deaths. That way, they would join him in Valhalla and fight at Ragnarok. Rolf shook his head. As far as Odin's attempts to kill epic heroes went, this one was just lazy. A little insulting, too. Rolf pushed back the rusty weapons and stood from the table, saying that he didn't want the weapons, and he didn't want Farmer Hrani's hospitality. He ordered his berserkers back to their horses. They were riding through the night. Despite Bodvar and the others telling them that angering the king of the gods was a bad idea, Rolf kept riding. In the night, Farmer Hrani yelled that it didn't matter, 
He would get Rolf in the end. He always did. For a long time, things were peaceful in Denmark. Cutting off the buttocks of the next most powerful king in the region will do that for you. No one wanted to risk the ire of a king that could walk into a country with 12 guys and walk out the victor. That is, no one except his half-sister, the half-elf, Skuld. She had been forced into a marriage by Hrolf, and at her wedding, he had shamed her husband. For years, they had been paying tribute to Hrolf, and she was finished with it. He never deserved it, but now, having not done anything in over a decade, he and his berserkers were getting complacent and lazy. So, Hrolf received a message from his sister. She asked for a break, of sorts, for the next three years. At the end of the three years, she would pay Hrolf his tribute in one lump sum. Hrolf's coffers were overflowing. He hadn't had a major war in over ten years, and half of Scandinavia was paying him tribute. He laughed it off. Of course Skuld could have a break. She was family, after all. There would be interest on it, though, at the end. She wasn't getting away from that. Later on that year, King Hjorvard, Skuld's husband, came back from the mailbox. Skuld, who was in the middle of preparations, asked him what the matter was. With a frown, he said that King Rolf didn't invite him to his Yule party. Again. Skuld rolled her eyes. Oh. That. This made, what, 17 years in a row now? 19, Hjorvard corrected. It was the talk of the season. His champions went, everyone played games and drank mead. Even their mistresses were invited. Oh, I'm sorry you can't make it? Honey, I'm busy and, you know, it's a good thing you're not going to be at Hrolf's Yule party. Really? Why? Skuld stopped tracing the runes with her finger on the table. Uh because she was summoning elves, norns, trolls, dragons, and countless otherworldly creatures to attack Hrolf at his Yule party? Really? Not ringing any bells when they tirelessly planned this whole thing for months? King Hjorvard laughed. No, no, he was just joking. Of course he remembered, but just so he could be sure that she was on the same page, could she run through exactly what was planned from start to finish? Skuld groaned and began. Hrolf will be away from his capital and trying to put on a good show for his friends. He and his berserkers would be there. But when they weren't occupied by their mistresses, as Hjorvard so wistfully mentioned, they'd have a talk about that later, then they would be occupied by the mead. The name of the game was Fame, and Hrolf's Yule Party was quite literally legendary. Skuld had been funneling the gold that would have gone into the tribute into making allies with the surrounding countries and kingdoms. Anyone that saw weakness, or anyone that had been wronged by Hrolf, which was basically everyone, was welcomed in and they would be camped in the woods. They would catch them completely unaware, crash the party, and end Hrolf Kraki, and the shame that had hung over her and her family. And that's almost what happened. While Hrolf and his buddies were shacked up with their mistresses, one of his berserkers, Hjalti, got in a bit of a lover's quarrel. You see, he was getting on in age, and asked his lover if she preferred one 80-year-old man or two 22-year-old men. She didn't even hesitate. Two 22-year-old men. What kind of question even was that? She understood the subtext, but really, who could blame her for that answer? Well, Hjalti could, when he bit off her nose for answering incorrectly. Putting on his clothes and walking out into the cold, he saw the campfires glowing in the forest. War had come. 
When everyone was pulled from their bed, King Hrolf looked on his men. They had faced worse odds, but they had been young men and had the favor of the gods. He knew the prophecy from his father concerning his sister. He knew that this was it. He had lived a good life and he would have a good death. He told the messengers to go out and speak with Skuld and Hjordvar to tell them that Hrolf and his berserkers would fight, but they would only do so after having their last drink together. They wanted to drink to their satisfaction before going out in their last fight. When Skuld heard this, she said that her brother and his warriors wanted to be more drunk when fighting? Yeah, absolutely. Tell them to take their time. It was a long fight. At first, no one could find Bodvar, one of the berserkers, but that was because he was inside, at the back of the house, sitting there and drinking mead while, completely unrelated, a spirit bear ravaged Skuld's army and blocked her from using her magic. Kjalti, remember the stand-up guy who just bit his girlfriend's nose off, very wisely called Bodvar a coward for staying inside. In that instant, the bear disappeared, and Bodvar stormed outside. Of course, this was a bad idea for many reasons, because Skuld could use her magic again. Hrolfkraki fought the hardest he had ever fought, killing more enemies and mythological creatures that day than he had killed in his entire life up to that point. But they just kept coming. That's because, like the Night King, Skuld had the ability to raise the dead and force them to fight for her. So every being that fell on the battlefield turned to fight for her. Unlike the Night King, though, she didn't wait for some big reveal. The moment someone fell, she had them pop right back up. The intensity with which Hofkrocki and his berserkers fought only served to tire them out. Bodvar himself found Skuld's husband, King Hjordvar, and cut off his head and foot and sliced him the length of his spine. He only yawned, put himself back together, and kept fighting. It was madness. The army of the dead began to close around them on all sides. Suddenly, the army of the dead stopped, and a ring around Hrofkrocki and his berserkers. The twelve were standing in a ring around their king, looking out frantically as Skuld finally stepped onto the battlefield. The crowd parted as she walked toward the warriors and their king, until she and Hjordvar stood at the circle's edge. I like to think that her brother Hrolf called her out in front of her army, challenging her to single combat, and if this was, I don't know, a hastily written final season of a TV series, the death of Skuld would have ended her magic, and the dead, including her husband, would have fallen, and the heroes would have been saved. But this is Norse mythology, and, far from exposing herself and confronting the heroes, Skuld just wanted to watch him die. Bodvar started off in a run toward her, but before he was even close, she commanded the army of the dead to finish Hrolf and his twelve companions. And it did. Hrolf's saga said that he fell gloriously, and that there was so much slaughter that words alone are inadequate to describe it. I imagine he woke up in Valhalla, to the mead flowing from a goat's udders on the roof, and Odin, wearing a, I told you so, smirk. The true power in the family was recognized, and even though Hjordvar was the king, Queen Skuld was the undisputed ruler of the realm. And because we can't have a powerful woman ever in this story, it's said that she was a terrible ruler and that her reign was short-lived. 
None other than that little weirdo, Vogg, defeated Skuld. Remember, he was that spindly little servant who gave Hrolf his nickname. It's said that he and Bodvar's brother caught Skuld unaware before she could use her satyr magic and then tortured her to death before returning the rule of the realm to Hrolf's daughters. Because, yeah, he had daughters. And no, they weren't mentioned up until this point. Neither was whoever Hrolf's queen was. Of note, the ending has its Viking cake and eats it too. Remember that it was written some 600 years after the events in question in a Christianized Denmark. Just before Hrolf's death, it says that the only thing that could stand against such darkness as the army of the dead will be the power of God. Also, too bad Hrolf's not a Christian and that he's going to die. But he died awesomely in a way a Viking would love. It seems like the writers of these sagas are kind of always walking a tightrope between staying true to their new religion but also wanting to revel in the stories of the gods of their ancestors. Next week, there are two stories of children only parents could love. One's a story from Scandinavia about getting everything you want, and the other's a story from Italy about how babysitting a chicken can go horribly wrong. If you'd like to support the show beyond leaving a review or telling a friend about it, there's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of a five foot by three foot unicorn Pegasus rug, you can get extra episodes, source-back ebooks and ad-free versions of the show that, sadly, will not class up any and every room in your house. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The creature this week is Penny Dragon from Lithuania. I'll attempt to pronounce the name once and once only. Penesni Smidge, or Penny Dragon, and it's exactly what it sounds like a dragon that leaves pennies around your house. You might be walking around your house and you'll find a three-penny coin out in the open. Hey, good day. You pick it up and put it in your pocket and then brace for the consequences of taking a mythological creature's money. But there are none. Good guy dragon wants you to have some nice things. Everyone is happy. Then, the next day, you see a six-penny piece on the floor of your house. You glance from side to side and don't see anyone or anything watching so you pick up the money and put it in your pocket, once again bracing yourself for the consequences of taking a mythological creature's money. But once again, there aren't any consequences. Just a Lockheed-sized dragon giving you an invisible thumbs up from the shadows. Good for you. Good for everybody. So when you see a dollar coin the next day, you don't think twice about picking it up and putting it in your pocket, smiling to the shadows and saying thanks for the continued generosity but he's the penny dragon and not the dollar dragon. So he'll fly from the shadows and burn your house for your greed. Hope that dollar goes a long way when it comes to rebuilding your home. Now, if you're thinking that that's an arbitrary cutoff and this creature only serves to make you afraid of picking up money in your own house, you'd be right. Unfortunately, you not only have a cursed dollar, but you have a new dragon roommate cursing you with bad luck for as long as you own that dollar, which is forever. You can't give it away. You can't buy something worth a dollar with it. The only way to get the dollar and the dragon to leave and to get the burning to stop is to buy something worth less than a dollar with a dollar. So essentially, to sell it for less than it was worth. After you're freed, the dragon will leave to spread his helpful, terrible gifts to another family. And you can sweep up the ashes of his generosity. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. The theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes, 
And I want to say thanks again to Simply Safe for sponsoring us this week. Simply Safe makes home security easy with no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. For just $15 a month, you get 24-7 professional monitoring throughout your home. And Simply Safe uses their revolutionary video verification technology to visually confirm that break-ins are happening, allowing police to get to you three and a half times faster. Visit simplysafe.com legends and you'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. That's simplysafe.com slash legends. simplysafe.com slash legends. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.